Hello and welcome to the Spectator's Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency in 2017. I'm Freddie Gray and I'm deputy editor of The Spectator. I'm joined today by the BBC's Paul Wood, who is in New York, and we're going to be talking about the firing of Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. Paul, I think it's fair to say that Secretary of State Rex Tillerson's firing is not altogether surprising. It seems to have been on the cards for a long time. But it's the manner in which he's gone that is uh, really quite shocking. Do you agree with that? Well, as Mr Trump is supposed to have said to his own daughter, Ivanka, when she was savaged by Steve Bannon, it's a rough town, baby. And Mr Tillerson was told by tweet, if you believe, uh, not officials briefing anonymously, in fact, but the official statement from the Undersecretary of Public Affairs and the State Department said this was done by tweet. The White House is saying, well, Tillerson knew since Friday and it was all going to be a managed exit. But Well, now, but, but now AP are now reporting that Kelly rang Tillerson on Friday. This is unconfirmed, but rang Tillerson on Friday and told him to expect a tweet. So that's, that's how he was alerted to the possibility he was about to be fired. Well, it's efficient, isn't it? You don't have to sort of send a messenger with a letter across town. You don't have to get Mr. Tillerson to the able of just tweet it out. Yeah. But it's brutal, isn't it? And extraordinarily, Mr. Tillerson has not set the record for the shortest lived Secretary of State. There are 15 others, but those 15 are basically people who are appointed at the end of presidential terms or during transitions or it was temporary. Uh, this really is a shockingly early exit. And especially Secretary of State is not an office that changes over very rapidly. And it's a sign of the awful personal relationship that had developed between Tillerson and Trump. And above all, the job of any cabinet minister who works with Trump is to manage the relationship with the president, particularly this president, who is so mercurial, prone to blow up, prone to criticising people in public. I mean, you know, let's take bets on how long the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, can last. Mr Magoo, as uh, Trump supposedly has called him. Yes, well, Sessions does seem to be a, a, such a punching bag for Trump that he almost wouldn't want to get rid of him. I do wonder, though, though sort of the instant response, particularly among us limeys, I think, was to think uh, of Russia. And that's not because we're all totally obsessed with Russia, but because Tillotson had said yesterday, he'd, had backed up Theresa May in her uh, effectively warning to Russia that it would have to expect some sort of collective response from NATO if it's shown or if it can't prove that it wasn't behind this poison spy case in Wiltshire. But I, I actually don't think it seems that this is the case because, of course, Tillotson was sacked last week. Do you think there's a Russian element in this? There's always a Russian element in any questions to do with the Trump White House, where you can find one if you look hard enough. On this occasion, I think Tillerson had become, as Secretary of State, very much part of the foreign policy establishment in the US. And the foreign policy establishment views Russia with suspicion or hostility, is certainly afraid of what Russia is capable of. Don't forget the unanimous judgment of the security agencies that Russia had interfered in the US presidential election and had done so to get Donald Trump elected president. So I think... American spooks uh, and British spooks will say the same thing about this killing in the United Kingdom, which is that it was a shocking breach in protocol by the Russians, a rather contemptuous middle finger by Vladimir Putin to Britain. And I think um, Tillerson was reflecting that. Daylight seems to have opened up between him, what he said, and the State Department. He backed Theresa May's view of this. The White House spokesman, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, wouldn't actually say that Russia was responsible, just said, you know, this was a terrible thing, but we don't know who did it. So conspiracy theorists can point to that if 
Trump is supposed to be Putin's man in the White House, then would you have wanted to have removed Tillerson? Those same conspiracy theorists were telling me over the past months that Tillerson was put in to that job because the Kremlin wanted him there. So, you know, <laughs> it's as ever with Trump and Russia, two compelling narratives, little evidence for either. But I mean, one thing you certainly could say is that Mike Pompeo, who will be Tillerson's replacement, has proved himself very loyal to Trump over the Trump-Russia investigation. Sort of. He has, as head of the CIA, not repudiated his own analysts' view, which is Russia did interfere in the election. He has stated that. And Trump has always said it could have been the mythical £400 guy sitting in his bedsit somewhere. Could have been the Chinese, could have been the Russians. But yes, Pompeo is seen as a loyalist. He has, if you believe the American press, been at the White House so often as CIA director, giving the president his daily intelligence briefing that he's got his own office there. He's somebody that Trump feels that he can trust. And Tillerson wasn't. And I think that in the end is why he went. And the most obvious reason for Tillerson's departure would be the rapprochement with North Korea, which obviously was announced the day before Tillerson appears to have been told that he was going. And the reports are that Tillerson was blindsided on this and that he was taken aback that Trump had made this amazing offer of friendship to to North Korea. Is that right? I'm only guessing, but I think the reason for Tillerson's removal was President Trump's own mercurial character. If you look at the television pictures from the swearing in of the senior staff in the West Wing, there's a row of people who are just no longer there now. The uh, chief of staff, Rince Priebus, Sean Spicer, the head of communications. We've had several of those since then, including one who didn't even last a week. Anthony Scaramucci, you've had a a change in the national security advisor, and it goes on and on and on. This is Trump's management style. He likes to attack people in public. Uh, you know, poor old Mr. Priebus was mocked for his height whenever he came into the Oval Office, apparently. He likes to shake things up. He likes to pit people against one another. Uh, he has very strong opinions. He doesn't care about protocol. He sacks people by Twitter. So I think this is more about Trump's personality than any policy differences. But there is an important policy difference. Trump has reached out to North Korea in a way that no previous president has done. The critics would say that every previous president has managed to contain North Korea without giving them any sort of equivalence. Mr. Trump's supporters would say in classic Trump style, he has once again broken the mold and Tillerson didn't seem to be on board for that. He does have now in a new Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, somebody who understands him, who speaks his language, and who, when he goes around the world to North Korea or anywhere else, people will know that he is speaking for the president, for the time being anyway. Let's see how long that lasts. I suppose, I mean, when Tillotson first emerged as Secretary of State or as the incoming Secretary of State before the Trump administration started, there was a lot of stuff about how he was an alpha male, Trump was an alpha male, they really hit it off. They sort of had a great kind of manly meeting. But that seems to have fallen apart very quickly. And, and there was that I think it came out in The New Yorker that he, Tillerson, had apparently called Trump a effing moron. What, what's your sense of when that relationship broke down, if you have a sense? I think that narrative speaks as much to the proclivity of political journalists to make stuff up or spin stuff from their sources as, as any basis in fact. I mean, who knows? With Trump, everything's either great or it's terrible, isn't it? You get that from his public pronouncements as much as whatever he may have said in private. And everything was great with Tillerson at the beginning until it was terrible. Again, I always think that the explanation of Mr. Trump's personality is as useful as any discussion about underlying policy differences. But yes, on the face of it, Tillerson was a sort of corporate titan. Trump was a corporate titan, or that's how he ran and that's how he won the presidency. Everything should have been fine. And it was 
a bit of a mystery why suddenly it wasn't fine. But one explanation, perhaps, is that Tillerson did not think much of Trump. And there was an utter believability to the effing moron comment. And the, the denials that Tillerson gave were just not credible. So I think his days were numbered from that moment on. You can't publicly disrespect the boss, and especially when the boss is someone like Donald Trump. Or was it perhaps that Tillerson really wasn't very good at being Secretary of State? I mean, we heard a number of reports, admittedly, from perhaps Trumpist sources who were obviously going to be against him, that he wasn't filling the department, there were still lots of vacancies that needed to be filled, the department wasn't functioning properly. And this has been said a lot, I mean, so much that you don't just think it's spin. Perhaps Tillotson just had to go because he wasn't very good at being Secretary of State. I don't get the impression, and maybe I'm wrong here, that Mr Trump delves deeply down into policy and is worried that such and such an ambassadorial post hasn't been filled or the State Department position paper on Japan's nuclear cleanup effort wasn't quite up to scratch. That's not Donald Trump. But yes, you're quite right. You and I attended a lunch at The Spectator. There was a senior White House official there since departed who, uh, who said, you know, we're pretty upset with Tillerson. He hasn't filled any roles. The whole seventh floor of the State Department is empty. That was, of course, in the context of criticism of the White House for failing to fill any posts. And maybe he was just trying to deflect criticism. You rather get the impression that the foreign policy establishment, if there was such a thing in the United States, was quite happy with Tillerson, quite happy with Mattis and saw them as some kind of counterbalance to somebody who was seen as unstable with their finger on the nuclear trigger of President Trump. They were seen as the grown-ups. Exactly. They were the grown-ups in the room. Do you think that's a, a sensible way of looking at it, thinking of a foreign policy establishment? I think it probably is. There is a permanent class of people in Washington who run things, and um, a bit like the political class in Britain, whether they're Democrat or Republican, they may have more in common with each other than with the, the people out in the sticks who put presidents into office every four years. There is a corporate view of things, and Donald Trump has completely blown apart both the substantive policies and the way of doing things. And Qatar is an example. Mr. Trump goes to Saudi Arabia, gets persuaded by the Saudis that their old enemy Qatar is supporting terrorism, and he takes to Twitter to criticise them. Tillerson had to clean that up, right? Well, exactly. T Tillerson and the military were horrified because Qatar has a military base with 10,000 US personnel on it. And Tillerson had to wade in and clean it up. Now, Trump would say, he said it on the stump many times, that he's a negotiator. He likes to shake things up. He likes to shock people. He likes to appear a little bit crazy. Remember Nixon's crazy man theory in order to get people to come around to his point of view. That's not what the foreign policy establishment in Washington, D.C. or anywhere else likes to see a president doing. Would it probably be quite sensible for any Secretary of State going forward to make it very obvious that they are at odds with the foreign policy establishment? I mean, I assume that the, one of the reasons Tillerson was not right in Trump's eyes was that he was seen as part of this curious elite in Washington. President Trump ran uh, as somebody who was a realist, who wanted to put America first, who didn't want America to go around defending other countries and not getting financial recompense for that. He ran like that. But then when you look at what he did in office, it's hard to see any kind of ideological underpinnings to that. I think all the reports we've had from books like Michael Wolff's, which have been criticised, but of a president who reacts emotionally, who reacts instinctively, may be right. There's no ideology there. Um, there's somebody who reacts pragmatically, if you want to put it that way, or on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, using his heart as much as his head. Paul, I think we'll end it there. Thanks very much for talking to us. And please talk to us again soon. Sure. And my favourite headline from this morning's coverage of the ups and downs, Kim Jong-un reveals he is just using Trump to meet Stormy Daniels. That's the New Yorker, I think it's. <laughs>
Thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and you can also subscribe to the magazine through our special podcast offer, which is on www.spectators.co.uk forward slash pod offer. And we'll even throw in a spectator moleskin notebook for people who take up that offer. Thank you.